0: Welcome to episode 115 of the 1099 for the week of October 23rd, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a video producer at GameSpot, a former freelance writer and presenter at Video Gamer and Game Reactor, and someone you've probably seen on like 800 different GameSpot videos, Lucy James. Lucy, how are you doing today?
1: <laughs> hey, I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Do you ever like randomly see a YouTube video that you don't even remember you were in? And you're like, oh, hey, there's me presenting something or me talking about a game and like forgot it ever even existed at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, weirdly, I was going through uh my external hard drive the other day because I was, like, four terabytes, like, up to the nose. I had, like, no space left. So I was going through, like, all my old exports, all these old shows that I worked on. And I was like, I don't remember making some of this. <laughs> and then I kind of went down this really nice... I've only been at GameSpot for three years, but uh, I went down this kind of nice, like, nostalgia trip um of just watching old videos and... um I, I still speak to with um Cam Robinson and Seb Ford quite a lot, who I used to work with when I first started, and I saw Cam the other night, and we honestly just spent about half an hour reminiscing about all the dumb <laughs> things that we used to make yeah um so it's quite nice to have that kind of uh library of stuff to look at.
0: It's super weird, especially like, you know, I didn't do a lot of video stuff, but doing reviews on, at GameSpot, sometimes I will get like an angry tweet or maybe a happy tweet every once in a while mm. it's positive. and you know, about like a review. I'm like, I don't even remember writing that. Like I could not, <laughs> like, you look at it and you're like, I reviewed Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse like back in whatever year. Like you completely forget the stuff happens. Does looking at any of that old stuff make you cringe? Because for writing, um, the old stuff is usually like every once in a while there'll be a gem where I'm like, I don't hate myself for this one. But most of the time it's like, oh, this is trash.
1: I think, so the thing is, I mean, before I worked at GameSpot, I worked um at a TV channel. And so a lot of that stuff I just don't have. Mm-hmm. And so my parents for some reason do. So I was just talking to my dad just now and we have relatives over and he said, oh, I was, I was showing Greg, you know, like old videos of you on the blurb, which is a show that hasn't existed. I don't think for about four years. And I was like, wait, you have videos of the blurb. I don't even have videos. I don't even have those. <laughs>
0: They have to be cool so, to have though. Just like those yeah. weird memories. Like it's like, almost a time capsule at this point <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Exactly.
1: Uh, I kind of wish that I'd, um I mean, when I first started in games, I used to have like this blog and I would, every time I wrote something or had it on a website somewhere, I would, you know, put a link to it. And so I had this nice record of everything I did and I, I really, really wish I kept up with it.
0: Yeah. I used to do the exact same thing and it's just like the deeper you get into it, the, the more you're maybe moving up in terms of like working instead of blogs to smaller sites to bigger sites, you kind of forget to keep those clippings around. And now I'm like, I couldn't tell you where any of that stuff is. Like it's on the internet, of course. I just have no idea where. Uh, And It's funny. People probably assume that, you know, you've just been comfortable talking in front of a camera or doing voiceover work since the start. But I think anyone who's ever tried being in front of a camera or talking in a podcast or – doing a YouTube video where you are talking at length, know that it takes a while to kind of get the cadence of your voice, the tone, the speed at which you talk down. So, I mean, you were doing an internship with GameSpot all the way back in 2012. Uh, That was my slight creeping I did online. Uh, (laughs) But what else did you do before or during this time to kind of learn how to do a job like this?
1: So, I mean, around that time, I was still at university. I was in my last year and I was doing a degree that I ultimately didn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did psychology and I really, I really enjoy sort of like the, um, the social psychology side of it, you know, why people behave the way they do, um, in particular, like why they behave the way they do around other people. And there's like a ton of, and like, that was the stuff that I really enjoyed. But ultimately my degree was skewed in the way that you were more looking at neuroscience and stuff like that. And it was things I wasn't really interested in, things I didn't really see myself doing, um professionally and i was kind of in a bit of a rut so i started ha playing video games more and more <laughs> uh and then i just kind of started writing so i i started as a writer um for my university newspaper um like a few websites that my friends were running so robot geek and 7 bit arcade which are both sadly now rip um but from there i i was, I was really lucky with the internship at gamespot because that was back when we still had like a really good intern program, except now because of, you know, like HR and stuff is so strict over here in the UK, at least that we have to, you know, like jump through so many hoops just to get people in. So yeah. I was really fortunate. Um And when I was there, you know, they started me off doing things like um <laughs> the, the charts, the, the UK game charts kind of thing. Um But on my, I remember like, The first or second day, they said, oh, we're going to go film an episode of Start Select, which is their version of, it was like uh, the daily news show. And they were like, do you want to come see how it's done? And I was like, oh my God, yes, this is so exciting. (laughs) And I think that was when I really got a feel for just how different being on camera is compared to just writing about things obviously there's there's still the element of writing involved in being on camera because you have to write your script and whatever Mm -hmm. but you know just seeing and i mean the team that was there at the time so it was jane douglas uh, seven cam daniel dwyer johnny kiedini mark walton guy cocker so yeah it was
0: like
1: it was like the gamespot uk all-stars as well and they all worked in video and Ginny, I remember sitting there, I was sat next to Cam and opposite Danny, and they were just like, oh, we've got whichever Call of Duty's in, there's a new DLC drop, do you want to do something with it? And that was my first foray into it, was, you know, Cam sat next to me, Danny offering help over IM, just asking me, you know, do you want to learn how to video edit and we can teach you? And they did, In you know, in a couple of days. And by the end, I was, you know, by the end of these four weeks, I was... um, uh, I'd done my own features like I did like an evolution of how Mass Effect had evolved yeah. over like the three games at the time and it was just sort of like so exciting I kind of felt like yeah this is this is the stuff I want to do but obviously from there you can't just straight away host things and assume you'll be good at it Um I did a couple things with my friends who ran a YouTube channel called True Gits and they were super nice and just been like okay well we're going to go interview this guy do you want to come along and interview him and then from there i started a job at this tv channel called jinx not to be confused with the clothing company um (laughs) very different but i had a producer there called simon who had been in the been working in tv a lot longer than i had and he just kind of said okay we're going to do this thing we're going to go into the studio for the whole day and what we're going to do is you're going to get in front of the camera it's going to be a super simple script you're going to say it hundreds of times but what we're going to do is I'm going to walk you through stuff. And if I notice uh, being on video, it's like the stuff that you don't even realize that you're doing. Like mm-hmm. you can have a twitch. He said at one point, what's that thing with your neck that you're doing? And I was like, what? I have no idea. And he was like, yeah, you kind of like, I think you're tense because your neck looks tense. <laughs> and it's just kind of the thing. Like if you don't have another person there telling you, you would never have picked it up. Even if like I'd watched it back or whatever. And so from that, I I really lucked out with with Simon and my other producer, Adam, who now works with me at GameSpot, which is amazing. Just having people who have been in the business longer than you you have, who know their stuff and are willing to teach you and willing to be patient is an incredible feeling. And I honestly wouldn't, you know, probably still have the job I do if I hadn't have been taught by some really incredible people.
0: How long did it take for you to get used to those style of edits when you're on video? Because you were a writer before like I was and Mm. those edits, it does take time because that stuff, you know, maybe your writing is like your baby where you're like, no, I I really think this should stay here. Don't cut all this. Oh, God, I feel awful now that you said like this part's bad. But when people are... They're not criticizing, but you're getting constructive criticism about like, hey, stop twitching in that way. Stop doing this. Stop saying like so much. Stop Mm. moving in a certain style. Was that jarring at the start for someone to kind of call that stuff out that you didn't even know you were doing?
1: Absolutely. I think, again, it's just because you don't realize you're doing it. I'm very cognizant at the moment that um I kind of go through these phases obviously because I it's weird I have to look at my own face so often because now I video I edit my own videos and stuff as well mm-hmm. which is when I was working at jinx I didn't have to do I'd you know film it and then at, back at the end I'd see the finished product kind of thing but now I'm very aware that I say like a lot and I <laughs> and you know it's one of those things it's kind of like a self-improvement thing as well where you're you realize you're doing stuff and, it, and you should change it it's just you know, kind of joining those two dots to realize that you should change it and actually changing it. But to have those people call stuff out, I think if we weren't friends, it would be even weirder. <laughs> but when, when, when you work with friends and stuff and they kind of like make a joke about, Oh, that weird thing with your necks back or, um, you know, try and smile more. Cause also telling someone to smile more feels smiling on camera is a really awkward thing. Yeah. Cause you feel like an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you feel like an idiot. Um, but I, if anyone always, you know, if they're trying to get into that kind of video work, I, I always say don't forget to smile because even though you feel really stupid, it looks great. Like when you look, when you smile, you look great and you look like you're having a good time, you're engaging. It's just, you know, thank God for those people who would teach me that in a nice and friendly way and weren't jerks about it. Cause I think, I think if they were jerks about it, it would be a completely different story.
0: When you're, let's say, a reviewer and you're writing for someone for the first time, if you don't know them all that well, you can trust like, okay, they're in this position. They probably know what they're doing. But if you get like a harsh critique, it's way different than if I worked for Kevin Van Orr for the longest time. I knew him and considered him kind of a friend. So I was like, you know, I will not get upset if you say this. So same way with you where someone's like, stop doing this specific thing. You're like, oh, well, it's a friend. You can almost joke about it compared to being told by someone who you have no real like, actual connection with.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Something I don't really know because I freelanced for Gamespot for the longest time. But mm. how big is the Gamespot UK team? Like, how much do you guys kind of correspond and collaborate with the American group? I mean, again, as just a freelancer, it always seemed like two entirely separate things. I was just working with one small <laughs> group. So, what's that process actually like?
1: Uh, well, it was. I mean, uh, back you know, was it five years ago? Now, the Gamespot US, UK, Australia. And, uh, GameSpot Asia, uh, were, you know, very different brands, you would say. Um, but when, uh, everything got folded in all together a few years ago, I mean, uh, it happened with our, you know, uh, sister website CNET, you know, they all folded in and, um, and so did we. And it, it kind of, I wasn't there for the actual folding in, but in my three years, it feels it, like, we, we kind of go through phases as well, because being so far away from the American team, obviously America is like head office, it's like all the big stuff, all the main stuff comes out of there. We kind of feel you, like, we have the autonomy to do our own thing, but we're also part of something much bigger. And so, you know, the UK office in particular, we'll have like times where we'll do our own little projects, like uh, the, our GameSpot Studios things, like our documentaries that we make, and we do, you know, like GameSpot of Thrones or we'll just do another show like Screenplay. And we kind of work completely within the UK team. But then there's other times, you know, like Shadow of War came out a couple of weeks ago where I'll be working really closely with the US guys because it's all based on who has the code and who knows the stuff better. So, you know, Justin Haywald reviewed that for us and I was doing like the, the tips guides, like the two tips videos that we did. So it would be, you know, me and Justin talking pretty much daily, being like, okay, have you noticed this? What about this? Here's my script. Um, it's a big collaborative process, and it it varies, honestly, b- between project. But then, you know, we get together, we have weekly meetings um, on Mondays where, you know, we get to chat to everyone, see what everyone's up to, which I think is super important in a team of our size is to make sure that no one feels left out and everyone is working together Cause it is like for the, for the one cause. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you get to go to E3 and honestly, like, it sounds really cheesy, but we go to E3 for two weeks. So we go to San Fran for one week, which was so good because it helps us acclimatize to the time difference. Because if you arrive, I mean, E3 is, you know, it starts on the Saturday. Now if we arrived, you know, rocked up on the Friday and you're straight into work on the Saturday, it would be terrible. (laughs) Um, so we spend a week with the guys, They take us out for lunch, they take us to their best spots, we go to the bars, we all work together in the same office, and it's like a big bullpen, uh, bullpen. and it's like, you know, you can just yell over at someone and be like, hey Rob, give me what, you know, it's just really nice to get to know everyone, because then you're going into E3, which is like a week where you don't stop, you don't sleep, everyone, you can't be snapping at each other or anything, everyone needs to be on the same kind of level, working together. Uh, and for that week, honestly, like we hang out after the show as well as all day during it as well. So working together then and Australia are there too, which is really cool because we get to see, I think, America more than often than we see Australia mm. just because of how far away it is. But it's just super nice to have everyone there together, which is great. And it yeah. kind of, yeah, it's like a GameSpot family.
0: <laughs> no, totally. I, that stuff is always so much fun, even in like my circumstance working for, 10 gentlemen, where like they're all in California, I'm over here, and there's some other freelance different spots. And when you actually get together around each other, it does sound corny where you're like, this is like a family, but it does change everything. All these Mm. interactions you might have just had online, it's easier and means a lot more when you're actually in person. My full time job is remote, but you know, we get into the office once a week, and it's those moments where you're like, oh, like we can get stuff done in a different way maybe we're more efficient at home in our own spots and whatever but there is that value to actually seeing people and you mentioned before these monday meetings you have we're kind of catching up to see what everyone's doing i assume right now especially because we're about to i mean we are hitting these giant releases next week is Mm. insane whenever this podcast goes out this is that's the week where like every single video game in the world is coming out yeah Uh, is a lot of those meetings right now during those times making sure there's no overlap in the type of content that what exactly you're covering i mean i'm guessing you have it all locked down in terms of, okay, we're doing all of the Mario stuff. You're going to do all the Wolfenstein stuff. And I'm with something like PUBG, which you need to cover often because there's like 20 million people playing that at any moment. (laughs) It feels like you probably have to talk about like, all right, we're going to do a video like this. Make sure you don't do something like this because we don't want these to cross streams. Is that a lot of these meetings?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, the thing is like uh, the Monday meeting is kind of a, we see what the top Top stories, top videos for the previous week were, and then you have kind of slides where it's, okay, these are the events coming up. These are the games coming up. Um, and then we go into like a features meeting, which is really cool because they just go through these things bit by bit and everyone gets to chip in and, you know, put, put ideas forward. And it's just kind of really nice, but also we use Asana. Oh, yeah. So it, yes, the, uh, it's, uh, the, you know, project managing tool of the gods is Asana. So, I mean, at a, at a glance, you know, I could see what everyone's working on, but, um, it is nice to be able to talk about those things with people. Cause a lot, a lot of the times as well, publishers will put on the same event with the same code, with the same developers in all three of our regions. So it could be that, you know, Australia <laughs> sees the game and then a, and then America will see it and then we'll see it. So a lot of the times you don't obviously want to send people to three separate events unless you know we're going to get something different out of it or unless there's a different opportunity or a different angle you can take. So a lot of the times we talk about that. We use Slack a lot as well, as I assume. Slack
0: is incredible, but if people don't yes. use Slack in a business, like they really need to. It's so useful.
1: It is. Yeah, it's incredible. And like we can use that to talk to people regardless of time zone or whatever, and just, you know, oh, we're going to do this thing. Let's quickly set up a Slack group or a DM thread and we'll quickly hash it out and have it sorted. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, as with any kind of operation, you have to make sure that you're not wasting people's time and resources. And so these meetings are really useful for that.
0: Yeah, you talked a bit before about kind of the autonomy that the um, GameSpot UK headquarters have, where you know, you are mm. all one big team, but you do things separately from the US or the Australia office and everything like that. But how much freedom do you have to sort of test out new video and feature ideas? Because you have this certain set of like, right, here's like you do news roundups on the GameSpot YouTube channel. There's video reviews, tips and tricks, videos based on what's coming out, a whole bunch of different mm. things like that. But do you kind of have maybe the ability to on one of those Monday meetings or who knows a Tuesday meeting you're talking and like, I think this would be a cool concept, a cool returning series, pitch that to people and then start an entire new se- series on the YouTube or is everything kind of set in stone right now?
1: We are always looking to experiment with content, hashtag content. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, I think we're, we're in an incredibly lucky position in that usually if I pitch an idea to um adam or we pitch it as a group to chris who's our who used to be in the uk team but now he's um executive producer over in america that you know sometimes if they have questions they'll be like oh not really sure about this but we'll usually get benefit of the doubt and we'll be given the you know just go off go off and make it which is which is a really exciting thing for work because like gamespot of thrones which is one of our um you know, highest trafficking, um, entertainment shows, uh, along with that and Rick and Morty on the GameStop Universe YouTube channel, for example, just came out of a conversation. Like I had my one-on-one meeting with Chris when he was still in the UK last year. And he was like, is there anything you want to do? And I said, Oh, well, you know, Game of Thrones is big. I'd like to be able to take that and run with it. And it just literally, it, it's, it's, it can be as simple as that, really. Yeah. Um, we do have to, Obviously, make sure that it's not going to be something super niche that no one will enjoy. But I think between all of us, uh, like uh Tamor uh, was an intern at Gamespot just before I was and worked at CVG for years. Uh, Dave has been here for almost three years as well. Adam worked with me at Jinx, so he's been in the industry for six, seven years now. Between all of us, we have like a good idea of what our audience will like and won't like and what will get a reaction and what won't. So we're really lucky in that we can just do things.
0: <laughs> and I doubt you read every single comment. I hope you don't. That sounds like a nightmare. But uh, <laughs> how long do you think it took for your audience? You were just talking about like knowing what they want. How long do you think it took for your audience to kind of get used to the entertainment coverage side of what GameSpot does? When you do talk about GameSpot of Thrones and the Rick and Morty coverage, mm. there was this time where it seemed like people were kind of concerned because all the big sites were doing entertainment coverage and like, "Uh uh-oh, are are games not enough to support a site of this size? Do you need to kind of leak into Marvel and geek culture and Walking Mm. Dead and stuff like that? I mean, you guys do it in a creative, interesting way, which I think is the important way to do it, but was it a bit jarring for your audience, do you think, at the start, or it kind of just fit right in?
1: I think, I, I remember like the first few episodes of GameSpot of Thrones going up and we were incredibly lucky with that show because people really enjoyed it straight away they loved you know theorizing with us and we were lucky but a lot of the times you would get comments that would just be like what is this movie spot you're like (laughs) oh come on um but i think i think over time as they accepted it not only did they accept it i mean we we made it into its own brand like universe brand right so we also proved to them that we weren't doing anything differently with games coverage that games certainly weren't being put on the back shelf we were you know games are our bread and butter obviously but we are just experimenting with doing entertainment stuff too i think splitting it from the main gamespot youtube channel was a really smart thing and actually the universe youtube channel has grown over the last year in such an incredible way and as Really cultivated this its own audience that people really enjoy, and if we can cross pollinate that between like the Gamespot audience, then that's amazing. And if we can cross pollinate Gamespot with Universe, that's equally as amazing. Because at the end of the day, like if people like this thing, they're probably going to like this thing too. So for us, it wasn't too stressful or strenuous to get those to get Entertainment up and up and running. Um. But I mean, now I'm just really glad we do it because a lot of the times you can see like really cool stuff happening in entertainment and not being able to do anything on it. So now, and also it kind of broadens us out because as much as we love doing video game stuff, there's certain like months of the year where nothing will be happening and you don't want to have to struggle to create stuff. But at the same time, that will be, you know, summer blockbusters are coming out or like a big TV show will be coming out. And you can fill in the gap by doing something a little bit different.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do an entire video focused on the new train simulator DLC in like July, where you're like, well, this is all that's out on Steam. This is what people apparently want to see. (laughs) I guess we'll do this. And so much of video game coverage now is personality based. Like, and I I think Mm. it's a, a very positive thing. I mean, another great CBSI product, Giant Bomb, was kind of. Maybe the leader yes. in that way, whereas people care about who's in the videos, who's doing the writing, who's on the podcast. And mm. I think when you open it up to have your interest, if you, you know, if your team loves Game of Thrones and people enjoy your content, who you guys are, they want to know more about that. Even I am not a professional wrestling fan in the slightest, but I'm at least interested to hear people on Giant Bomb talk about it. Cause I'm like, oh, well. I like these people, let's hear what they have to say about this topic, and it might actually get you into these things that maybe you didn't like before. It's never going to happen for me for wrestling, I'm a close <laughs> book on that, but maybe if I'm not huge into Game of Thrones, I'm like, oh, well, the GameSpot UK team is talking about it, let me see if that's something for me. You can kind of introduce people to these other things that maybe it kind of works like an Amazon suggested list based off what you bought, where it's like, well, you like this, mm. maybe you'll like this. And I think that's probably what's happened for a lot of people in how you cover entertainment.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like the people that I look to for that kind of thing is um Easy Allies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, You know, like I started listening to that D&D campaign and I had no interest in D&D at all, but because, you know, Kyle Bosman was doing it and Ian Hink was doing it, then I was like, and Huber, I was like, oh my God, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen to this. And I just feel like it's a natural way. Because I mean, that's what happens with your friends, right? Yeah. That's how you, as people discover things. And I think having that relationship Online is equally as important and it, it's how you grow as people as well by, you know, learning about other things and experiencing other entertainment yeah. products and commodities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing with, like, there's, um, I think, the Zonecast and there's Friends at the Table. And I'm the same as you. Like, I know nothing about D&D. Like, I've never mm. gone done a campaign. I have friends who've done it. But when you see, like, well-produced, interesting stuff from people you like, you're like, man, maybe I do want to see what this is. And I think yeah. there's a lot of value in that. Um, and I'm not sure how often you do them anymore. But I really like your in-two-minute series where you're kind of breaking down a game or a series to its yeah. core elements. In this very short period, like let's say two minutes. Um, and I, I think I've always found what's most difficult about script writing when I was doing some video reviews for GameSpot is just how much fat you need to cut from your words. So like again, yes. for video reviews, you're, you have this 1,200 to 1,500 word thing and you're breaking it down to its core elements, often throwing away stuff where you're like, oh, I really like this aspect of it, but I just can't mm. include it. We don't have the footage for it or it doesn't work in this format. So how long did it take you to learn how to effectively and efficiently write these video scripts, especially for something like In Two Minutes, where you know you have this limit right there mm. in the name. Mm. Do, do you think learning how to trim in this way has also made you a, just a better writer overall?
1: I think so. I think it makes you not afraid to trim stuff. Because that's the real fear, is you have you feel like you've invested time and effort into writing something, and you think, yeah. this is it, this is great, this is fine. But then you realize like it's maybe a bit wordy, or, I mean, GameSpot, I mean, I'm sure you'll be familiar with our QA process. <laughs> yep. Is um, everything goes through QA. You know, we always send it by editorial and video people um, just so you get both aspects of it. And if someone from editorial says that, you know, this could go, then you trust them implicitly because they are the guys that definitely know. With us video people, it's like you want to say more, but then half of it as well is realizing that with video you have the luxury of being able to show and you don't necessarily need to explain everything you can just show it um but I think le- in two minutes, I think that I don't really do that show anymore to be honest because we did it uh I think there was fifty something episodes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I would do it every week, and it just kind of not kind of burnt out on it, really because there's only like a certain amount of games and stuff and it depends, obviously, on what's happening, what's big in the gaming world at that time. And so you kind of do burn out on things like that. But in two minutes, I remember the script size for the two-minute section would be 275 minutes, or 300 if you were going to talk really fast. I remember doing the Metal Gear Solid one, ones, because I'd split it into two. Yeah, I was going to say, there's
0: no way you could talk about that series in two minutes.
1: Yeah. And I remember just thinking, no, I'm just going to have to talk really fast. <laughs> Um, But it does help you. I mean, I'm writing a thing at the moment. So um John Luke has been doing these amazing history of videos. And what's been really cool is that he's not been afraid to lose the audience. You know, typically, there's a cutoff when people stop watching and he's just gone. No, no, no it's a history of I'm going to do it properly. And so there's like this half hour long video series of him doing stuff on Assassin's Creed and Uncharted. And these videos are all like half an hour long, super well researched, super meaty. And I'm doing the one on The Sims, oh, which geez. is a game that I pretty much lost my teenage years to. <laughs> Might not play it anymore, but, you know, Sims 1 through 3 were, were my jam. And so writing a history of... I realized the other day that it's almost the length of my dissertation at university. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it hasn't been through its final edit yet, but just, like, reiterating... Like, it's an iterative process of reading stuff and cutting stuff. And half of my notes on the side um, in my Google Doc are just, you can show this in B roll, which is useful. But it allows you to be creative in other ways as well, I think.
0: Yeah, totally. I I think it's one of those things that is super difficult to do at the start, but once you learn it, it helps in kind of all aspects of writing. And and for Mm. that series we were just talking about, the In Two Minutes, which you're not doing it at this point, but was it difficult when you were doing it to make content knowing? ...that it's also sponsored. And I only ask that because there's a certain, I'm guessing, creative freedom that's maybe not taken away from you, but it's a different style of thing. Now, those videos were more informative than opinionated mm. but if you're talking about um, I don't even know if you did one like this but like hey here's the new latest Call of Duty sponsored by Activision was mm. that restricting in a way that made it difficult to produce a video like that or was it something that you didn't even really think about you were more worried like okay that's, that's GameSpot doing like the money aspect of that I'm not even worried about that I'm just going to make a video
1: so I mean with those videos like uh, if we did a sponsored one so Bethesda for example mm. I think we did one on uh, probably Dishonored. I think we probably did one. Like, they would... They wouldn't see the video. Like, they wouldn't okay. have any say on what I was they writing. They didn't give
0: you any sort of, like, restrictions, like, don't go in this direction, don't talk about this. That was very much like, we're well, just going to Well, the thing do is, I mean, thing. so...
1: So what we would do is, you know, we would say to them, you know, this is the video idea that we have. This is what okay. we're going to make. And there would be a slate at the beginning, and I would obviously disclose it. But then the video itself would never really be you know, oh my god, this is five reasons why you have to buy... <laughs>
0: exactly, yes.
1: ...kind of thing. And a lot of the times I remember doing one on The Witcher, which I'm pretty sure was sponsored. Yeah, The Witcher ones were, and it and it was just literally like, I've been playing the game for a couple of days, here's seven tips about it. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I think, yeah. I mean, hilariously, we would have made it, even if it hadn't been sponsored, because The Witcher was huge at the time. But I think that was when I was working on a different team. Like that was my only job. And in two minutes and reality check were both, you know, shows that were sponsored by, um, by publishers, by games at the time. And, you know, that was a big part of my, that was my job Yeah. for a while, but now I'm kind of more in editorial mm-hmm. as in like, I, I make different things. Sometimes the stuff I make does get sponsored, but you know, it's not, it's, If it helps my company continue, then it's fine. It's certainly like there's no one in my ear telling me what I have to write and how glowingly positive things have to be. There's no shady stuff like that. So (laughs) yeah, no, I feel totally fine with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the balance between there's a, there's a lot of YouTube stuff out there that I, as someone who's traditional writer background, I don't think I still fully understand a lot of how YouTube business works. And, um, I know there's videos out there. I think what you guys did is, you know, totally. Like, it makes sense, especially in something more informative. You're not saying, like, hey, go buy this. Yeah. Also, we're sponsored by Bethesda. Or, like, anything like that. Or why this is the greatest game ever brought yeah, to you by I Bethesda. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I think the, the Shadow of Mordor thing with um, YouTubers really highlighted that. Because there was no one telling them what... They well, there was someone telling them what they should be saying and how often they needed to mention the game and whatever. But th- that I think was a good change because it sparked these conversations of what should and shouldn't be disclosed. Exactly. And I think that's an incredibly important conversation to have because a lot I mean, there's this great one, I oh, I think Mark Brown, British Gaming, did the tweet and he just calls the tweet a YouTuber has a slow realisation. And it is someone I don't even know who it is, but they're talking about Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And he's giving this glowing indictment of the game about how much he loves it. And then he goes, Oh, Ubisoft didn't pay me to say that, by the way. (laughs) But they, but then, and then he goes, Oh, but they did fly me out here so I could play the game and make this video. So I guess in a way, maybe they have. (laughs) (laughs) And so. But also, I mean, like, a ton of times you see stuff that's not disclosed properly, and that really gets my gets my goat, is especially video, because you have no excuse, yeah. really, not to well, disclose stuff.
0: And We're in, like, a weird spot with it, because like you said, there's a lot of stuff like, what do I disclose, what don't I disclose, And mm. just in terms of, you know, you see a person talk about, like, here's why the new Skyrim remastered, you need to get it right now, by the way, this is sponsored by Bethesda, and you look at that stuff, and you're like, how should we handle this sort of enthusiast aspect also with I got flown out for this or I got sent this earlier I think mm-hmm. it was with us at one point where it's like hey we're not giving review copies but mm-hmm. here's all of these YouTubers who we know you know that their channel is like Elder Scrolls fan seven with like mm-hmm. two million subscribers and that's who we're going to give it to and you kind of go back and forth on that and again like as someone who has worked at GameSpot like that nothing like that ever happened everything seemed super above board the entire time but I think yeah. th- in the wild world of YouTube where A lot of maybe, let's say, people on Twitter who are loud will be like, oh, you can't trust reviewers, but then they watch YouTube videos where it's like, hey, this is all super sponsored and positive. It's kind of hard to find. Coverage is weird right now in terms of like, Mm. what do you trust, what don't you trust. Do you need to just find a certain site or a certain person who you really think is doing everything above board? Can I just go on YouTube and find anything and that's okay? It's hard to really know at this point, um, especially with so many just enthusiast channels out there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of why when I was doing In Two Minutes in Reality Check that we would do like factually-based stuff. I remember we did a, um, you know, we'd do ones on... I think we did Dark Souls once for Dark Souls 3. And literally the In Two Minutes would be, okay, here's a story of Dark Souls. No yeah. judgment or anything either way. I, reality Reality Check, though, was a lot easier because you could pick a game for that week and you would just find some science aspect of it and it'd be really cool. The thing that I think they don't tell you about like the sponsored stuff is you'd think that would get you better access to stuff. It doesn't. <laughs> yep. You know, so a lot of times like you wouldn't even have the game. You wouldn't I was, so I was working with you know like the same assets as everyone else, the same trailers and everything. Um but no, I mean like so reality check that was really fun because you could just sort of pick a thing and go with it and I would lose you know, a day just going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole of, you know, I'd be looking in into like quantum physics one day and then, you know, how people formed language the next day. So also it was really fun to be able to do that. But again, it's, a, it's the same thing as in two minutes, right? It's like there's a set number of topics, there's a set yep. number of games, and you kind of just have to take a break.
0: And, you know, speaking of reality check, that is one of my favorite things that you guys did at GameSpot, just in terms of I love that idea of, you know, here's – this topic that might be like I said quantum physics sparked by game yeah. talk it's, it's it's different than what's out there for you personally what's your favorite style of video to do like do you have something that you look at where you're like oh this was my favorite series or this in general is just my favorite type of thing to produce on a you know weekly or even monthly basis
1: my favorite type of thing to produce i think it changes because of you know the nature of the biz yeah uh you change a lot i mean i love doing game spot of thrones because at the end of the day that's just me and two of my best friends coming into work early to watch game of thrones and then we talk about it for half an hour <laughs> um but in terms of like i really enjoyed doing in two minutes and reality check but i think also part of that was because i was working with seb and cam who and you know seb was my line manager and I would come to him with like a stupid idea and he would go, yeah, love it. Let's do it. Um, I mean, there was one day where we printed off a picture of Cliff Blazinski's face and got Seb to wear it and like was this complete characterization of Cliff Blazinski. Or there was the day that I got a, um, a thing of whipped cream and like pied him in the face with it uh, at my desk. <laughs> um, just risk it. But then there's stuff that we're doing more recently in the UK office is that we're doing sort of like more in-depth human side stories. Uh, it's kind of under the banner of GameSpot Studios. Uh, that's like the the branding banner of it, I guess. But it's, you know, we kind of wanted to get out of the review-preview cycle a little bit because there are so many stories in games that aren't being told, maybe because they're not a PR beat. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see a lot of stuff just doesn't, you know, get out there and it's really interesting. And, um, Adam and Tamor did an amazing one last year. They went to Osaka and, uh, kind of did the making of Resident Evil 7. Uh, but then when, and talked to the guys at Capcom, but then when they came back, they came and spoke with people like Dan Pinchbeck from the Chinese room. Oh, yeah. Um, about, you know, how Resident Evil had influenced them. And, you know, it's this great kind of more conversational piece and more like documentary style. And so we did one, uh, for Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, in March and it was, you know, like two weeks before the game came out and we went to Boston and we spoke with the, uh, with the team. We spoke to loads of people from, um, Bioware Montreal. And, you know, as sad as it is what happened to that game, like you can't take away the fact that those people were super excited to be working on a Mass Effect game and they were just desperate to try something new and, you know make it as good make a game as good for the fans as they could and you know it's if we could have done I think we would have loved to have gone back and revisited you know those people post-launch and stuff but it was like a really exciting that's probably like my favorite video series that we've done was that two-parter on Andromeda just because it is different because yeah it's it's games coverage is a cycle it's it, I'm not saying this is a terrible thing, but it is dictated by PR. You know, you're dictated by when, when the code is ready, uh, which spokespeople you have. Is there an event that you can send your spokesperson to? Is there an award ceremony or an E3 or a Gamescom that you can show a trailer at? It's, we are very lucky at Gamespot to have, you know, the clout, I suppose you could call it, have the ability to go to a studio and say, Hey, we'd love to come and talk to you about this game. Uh, and we've, and Games Plus Studios, we've done a lot. Uh, Mike Mahardy did one very recently. Um, uh, he went to Monolith to talk to the guys about, you know, how difficult is it actually to make a Lord of the Rings game kind of thing. and it's, it's really interesting. And those are the kind of stories that I like. I think Polygon did. They don't do them anymore. And it was really infuriating. But because they were some of the best things I've ever seen, it was the talking to the guy who played John Marston in Red Dead Redemption, mm-hmm. uh, talking to Jessica Chobot after she left IGN and she was writing that game and she'd had a kid and it was like, what's next for Jessica Chobot? And it, the, those two pieces, I think, really certainly inspired us into making what we're doing now because they're so different and so interesting. Um, yeah, Polygon. If anyone from there is listening, please make those again. <laughs> they're real good.
0: Well, that human element to game development and all aspects of game design is one of my favorite kind of advancements in media right now because people care and it's fun to see that people do care it always seemed like oh there's this giant you know massive studio that's really nameless and faceless like oh it's bioware you don't think about the people Mm. who make the games like who is the who's the dragon age person who's the mass effect person and Mm. i think with things like you could look at Noclip, you can look at Cloth Map, you can look at um, even Jason Trier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Now mm. that we're communicating more about the designers, what goes into making a game, that people behind who make the game, who do the voice acting, people really care. And that's fun. Similar to how people care about the personalities behind a GameSpot or IGN or a Giant Bomb, I really do think people want to know not just how games are made, but who's making the games, what goes into this process. I mean, if you wrote, if someone went out there and wrote a full book about exactly what happened with Mass Effect Andromeda and then got all of these quotes from the people after the game released to be like, here's why this didn't work or here's why this happened. I think there's a demand for that style of thing. And I can speak personally with this podcast when you get people who you know, make games when I had uh, Mike Laidlaw from previously of the creative director of Dragon Age, he just yeah. recently left, but like people really cared, not just for the news fact of that of him talking about like, there's a new Dragon Age, people want to know what it takes to write that script, what it takes to mm. lead that team in the same way we talk about with um, Lord of the Rings, like what goes, what's the lore side of that? What can't you touch? What can you touch? How do you kind of help weave all this stuff together without suddenly being like, oh shit, I... <laughs> now I somehow wrote Gollum out of the story and now the uh, it ruins all the rest of the local <laughs> stuff like there's so much behind it and I think the coolest part maybe about coverage these days is that people care about it I feel like we're able mm. to cover that stuff and justify it more because people are actually clicking it's not just vanity pieces before it's 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 actual stuff that people want to hear about
1: yeah for sure and for me personally that's what really interests me you know, and. It is weird having these, um, these figureheads of gaming that only really get trotted out when they have something to promote. Yep. I think what, what Kojima's doing is quite interesting at the moment because obviously he was, he is Metal Gear and Konami, you know, scrubbed him of that. Um, but for him to still be as venerated as he is and for him to be going out and talking to people more and people getting to know more about Hideo Kojima than ever before. It's something that's really interesting. And I mean, I want to know the minds of the people who've made some of my favorite games. Like, I want to know why they did this. And I, I love retrospective pieces on, um, there was that um, that thread on Twitter recently of uh, game developer tricks and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they were saying like, um, I think it was the guys from Monolith and they were saying, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, if Talion's just about to die, we'll it says that you haven't got any health left, but actually you've got more than you think and it just makes you feel that if you get through that encounter that you're really, you know it empowers the player. Yeah. I love stuff like That's that. That's so cool. It's so cool and it's so interesting. And it's the kind of stuff that you don't really find out unless you actually talk to people about it. Uh because otherwise you're like, "Oh cool, so tell me about where the game is set or yep. tell me how many you know, whatever uninteresting PR beat you've got to tell me about." so i think I think also what Edge does is quite cool, like you read a review in Edge and they kind of have like a footnote thing where they go back and interview the developer about the game um after the person's played it mm. which is something i I think a lot of the big sites don't do as well, which is post release coverage sure um, you'll do like the the um the guides and stuff, and you'll do performance and you know like updates you'll report on those uh, or you'll do maybe a let's play but Going back and, you know, like really keeping invested in a game and its community, I think is super important. It's something I want to definitely do more.
0: I I think we need to do more of it because before it seemed like a game came out, there's that preview cycle, everyone's super excited. And then it feels like almost a week later, no one cares. Which has to be extremely disappointing for a developer, where it's like we put three years into this, and then suddenly a game comes out. We we have like the reviews. There's a couple of features that come out that maybe tackle certain issues in it or certain great things, and then suddenly it's like it never happened. And the Reddit communities and the the Neogaf communities and the just the Twitter communities in general that stick around with games, even if they're not dedicated to being online. Of course, with Overwatch, it makes sense because everyone's still playing Overwatch, but. There's stuff that keeps happening when a game is done. I think Kotaku does this well to a certain extent where they kind of have someone on this beat, like a Destiny beat, mm. where they're discovering like, oh, here's what this person's doing in this game. Waypoint does this a little bit too, where they, yeah. there's stories that happen long after that stuff is done. And I really do think people care. And I think it's super interesting still t- that... Like you said with the review, once you play a game, have that reviewer, have someone close to the game, go back and talk to dev team about, hey, why this way? Why did this happen? How is mm. How did you make this happen? I've brought this up in this podcast multiple times, but with um, Dead Cells, which is one of my favorite games this year, when I talked to that team on this podcast, they're like, that game was a tower defense game when it first started. And you're like, what <laughs> the fuck? Like, how? <laughs> like, how did this game happen? And I think there's so many little stories like that that are when you are invested in a game, when you really do enjoy it, they're so fascinating to hear stuff like that, to hear what a game has gone through and what it went into it and why something worked or why it didn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's now, sadly, though, it depends on, you know, the publisher and whoever, but those are the kind of tidbits that you'll only get, you know, at a bar at E3, right? Yeah. Like, or with you, indie oh, studios
0: I, who aren't yeah. closely tied to a publisher. Like, you'd hope at least. They seem more open.
1: Oh they're definitely more open yeah um but with like AAA every, I mean it I don't want to sound negative on it because at the end of the day games are a business and yeah. they have to make money and um you know the cost of AAA is so so expensive and you know things they have to do everything in their power to make sure that that game sells so I completely understand it and I appreciate it but at the same time I feel like if just one person said oh no this this story would be good if it if we could talk about it I just feel like it'd be really cool. Cause a lot of times like with these human interest stories, you'll get people in the comments being like, Oh man, I wasn't interested in this game, but I want to support them now for this. Right. And, um, I feel like if you're just too hung up on expansion passes and microtransactions, then you kind of forget that people made a game, not a Ah. corporation
0: that sucks the humanity right out of it when you do have... Like, I understand loot boxes and microtransactions and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm much more apt to buy and support something if I get to see that human element of it, if I know someone involved in there and they have this interesting story to tell. Like, that's Mm. what fascinates me. And it's not that way for everyone. I get it. Like you said, games are a business. But I do wish maybe some bigger publishers would realize, like, hey, if you actually attach some human element to it, people want to support it more. And speaking of games being a business, is it harder Mm. to determine what's worth covering these days from the video aspect with things like PUBG coming out of nowhere suddenly on Steam and then taking the world by storm or just early access games coming out at this rapid mm. clip where, you know, right now we're getting into this holiday season where AAA games are all over the place and there's some easy bets where you're like, I'm going to make a Call of Duty video, duh. I'm going to make an Assassin's Creed video, duh. But games are coming out and faster than ever and you just don't know sometimes what's going to just explode. So because you're you know, you're you're breaking these scripts, you're editing a lot of the video now, like you had mentioned, you're doing voiceover. How difficult can it be to know, all right, it's worth investing resources in, of course, AAA, but also all these other things coming out? How do you determine what's worth covering?
1: So actually quite recently at work we had um we had like this conversation and we were like, you know, I don't we're not playing as many games at, at work as we should be. Which is a very a very strange conversation to have. <laughs> um but we were like, yeah, I mean because I think the recent one for us that came out of nowhere in terms of its success and how well it's done for us is Divinity Original Sin 2. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, I think because of the team size that we have, we're incredibly lucky. So we had the ability. I mean, obviously Dave, Dave was playing the game anyway. And so was I think it was Jean-Luc in, in America. And they immediately just kind of dropped everything else they were doing and jumped on stuff, which I know a lot of places don't have. That ability, we're incredibly lucky that we have people of all walks of life who play all ki- all kinds of games, and who can just jump on things. I think it's that versatility that really helps. But I, I completely understand. Like you, kind of feel sometimes like you get blindsided by the, the big triple A's, by the Call of Duties, by the Assassin's Creeds, by the Mario's. And but luckily, I think it, because there are so many of us, there's always these. There's always someone who'll be like, "Oh, have you guys seen this?" And it's. Yeah. And we tend to listen to the people who say, "Have you guys seen this um whether we write about it or even make a video about it it's you know and it's and it's not just because you want to make stuff about that, it's because it would be good for the site as well, and I think we're very good at putting the right people on the right projects on the right games and stuff as well, but for us as well it's it's whatever you're interested in at the time in the u k team we because we have you know. To a certain extent, this autonomy. If we are really enjoying a game that maybe no one else is playing, then you know they'll just say, "Oh yeah, sure, make a thing on it." It's yeah, it's it's as simple as that, really. Yeah. Um, but also, as well, I, th- I guess because games are my hobby and my job, it's a world I'm like pretty much totally invested in all of the time. Like my Twitter is games Twitter, <laughs> if uh, if that kind of phrase. Yeah. Cause, yeah uh applies here and so you always see people talking about like the next big thing it's just finding that it's yeah it's finding the time to figure out if it's worth covering and literally having this conversation at work recently about whether we can play more games at work and yes we can we were like they were they were saying to us why aren't you playing more i'm like oh yeah that's a good point all right
0: that's probably the um, greatest conversation to possibly have where it's like can you please yeah, play more amazing. video games while you're at work like i, I got you yeah. i'm on it yeah. As long
1: as it's still, as long as it doesn't interfere with my lunchtime Overwatch, then that's
0: <laughs> fine. Uh, and it's probably cool when we're talking about like what's worth covering, what's popular out there. It's fun because you're GameSpot. So if there's something that your team really, really likes and is invested in and you think is worth covering, but not big yet, maybe by posting videos and posting features, that might get people talking about it more. That might get mm. more people actually into the game. And I've told the story again a couple of times in podcast, but I didn't know what Dead Cells was. I saw a Justin McElroy Polygon review, and because, you know, that site has that clout, because Justin has that social media following, because mm. Polygon has social media following, I'm like, oh my god, I need to play this. And then all over the place I'm seeing people talking about Dead Cells. So it's... It has to be a little bit weird sometimes. Like if you maybe see a smaller thing that hasn't really been picked up yet, GameSpot can get that moving in a positive way, not in, in a way yeah. where like, Hey, like this, this game deserves the credit. It's, it's actually really interesting. It has a new idea. And suddenly people are talking about it because you're GameSpot.
1: Mm. It's, yeah, it's something that I'd never, I, I don't really think about to be honest.
0: Yeah, maybe it's maybe it'd be um, weird to think about the size of your it, audience yeah. sometimes. The size of the game spot. Even just Twitter or YouTube subscribers and stuff like that where you think about yeah. just how many people you can reach. Um Yeah. But
1: Yeah. Sometimes and, you see those figures and you're like, oh my God, yeah. There are <laughs> quite a lot of people out there who read and watch our stuff.
0: Yeah, I'd probably be terrified of that if ever I did videos. Yeah. You're doing great. Don't worry about it. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and speaking of the size of GameSpot and the size of Mm. the IGN. We talked about this a little bit, but we can kind of close with this idea. Uh, What do you want to see more of when it comes to either personal YouTube channels that you like or other major publications? Again, like GameSpot, a Polygon, and IGN. How do you want to see them handle video differently? We talked about that human element of it and not just following Mm. a PR cycle, which a lot of us are beholden to that, but we're able to break out of it sometimes. Is there's kind of stuff out there that you've seen on small YouTube channels that you wish bigger YouTube channels would do, or maybe just concepts uh, or ways of covering games that you're like, man, I really wish sites with these resources, I wish we could do more stuff like this. I mean, Game Maker's Toolkit, I just had Mark Brown on here. That stuff is fascinating and interesting. Do yeah. you, would you like to see more stuff like that on major sites, or is that something maybe best uh, hold out to people like him?
1: No, oh God, yeah. No, I mean, I think, didn't Game Maker's Toolkit get uh, syndicated on IGN? don't oh, you know what? It might have. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I mean, no, I mean, I love I love what Mark Brown does. Um, I mean, his episode about the hidden difficulty of Resident Evil 4 kind oh, of blew so my good. mind. Yeah, yeah, and that, I mean, that's the kind of story that, again, like, they didn't tell anyone until, I don't think anyone found out until someone read it in like a guide or something a year later or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. But it's just, I love that, I love human interest stories like that. I love, um, prepare to try on IGN, mm-hmm. because at the same time, it's just, it's personality driven, but personality driven with a goal, which I always think makes content so much better. Um, like competition style content where, you know, the first, the first season is they were trying to finish Dark Souls 1 before Dark Souls 3 came out. And it was just kind of, it's hilarious as well. And I really love that. And I love Polygon stuff about, um, the human interest stories of the guy who played John Marston. You know, he came out and he did one game no one ever heard from him again yeah it's incredibly interesting to me i think a lot of times you see stuff that's shared on twitter at the minute uh sorry on facebook at the minute especially is like this kind of maybe veers into like entertainment stuff but it's you know it's junket stuff it's celebrities reading uh mean tweets or celebrities doing people's tinder profiles (laughs) and it's the same kind of ideas regurgitated over and over again so, when people do things that are like unique and different, and actually, you know, it's just something that's different. Because I think on the internet nowadays, there is an audience for it. And I think people maybe, you know, certainly like BuzzFeed and everything, they have their ideas and they kind of run them into the ground a bit because they'll do them and apply their templates for as many things as possible. And I, don't, I think that's kind of to the detriment of online. Because you should be, you're the, you're the the media that's able to change the quickest, right?
0: Yeah. You don't want 800 like grandma plays Resident Evil Seven videos. You don't want like, yeah. oh, hey, here's um a ten dollar indie game versus the most expensive game you've ever played. The kind of thing would do, like ten dollar stake versus most expensive steak. Oh, like, yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a template, Absolutely. and I think people do stick too closely, and it does sort of hurt the actual value of those videos.
1: Yeah um so i just i just like it when people do do and try something different
0: yeah look at monster um, factory like that's one of yeah, those that oh i God, like yeah. I, every time that comes out i'm like i'm so excited because it's a new idea like they mm. i do think I, I agree like you need and you know polygon's a big site to have that sort of personality based aspect to it I, I do think as long as we keep leaning in that way like that's where you're hopefully going to see the most innovation where it's not just this template yeah. where it's at this is someone's idea because they are like this unique individual that you're kind of giving this confidence to where you're like, go make something cool because we know if people like you, they'll like the thing that you create, even if it is putting an amiibo in your mouth and rating it or something like that, like Griffin McElroy does. Yeah. Uh, that's hopefully the direction it goes. Um, Lucy, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So where can people oh. find you on social media? And uh, what are you working on right now at GameSpot that you can talk about?
1: Ah, the one that I can talk about. <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lucy James Games uh you know good career advice is to find a career path that rhymes with your name <laughs> um at the moment i'm hang on so when does this air
0: Uh, this will go monday so early next week
1: i'm going to play a game with a little man that jumps around a lot <laughs> uh for work
0: is Let's it play a new Bowery. rayman game
1: a new rayman rayman's back oh, um gosh. yeah god it might <laughs> be back. no and then actually we're going to paris games week uh the oh, week after awesome. this one so we are prepping for that and we're actually interviewing andy circus on monday what? which i'm really excited about yes oh, uh, planet of the apes so i'm very excited and we're gonna talk to him about you know motion capture in video games and storytelling and that kind of thing so I'm, that's what i'm working on at the moment
0: that's great. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I mean I was Thank joking. Thank you earlier so much about, for having me. Absolutely. I was joking earlier about how you've been on like eight hundred videos. And like I had seen you on so many videos before I even followed <laughs> you on Twitter. Well, I was like, I would love to actually be able to talk to Lucy at some point. And, you know, we've tried to put this <laughs> together for a long time, but you know, time zones are weird and it's hard to ever do yes. this. So super thankful for you actually doing this. And yeah, I can't wait to see all the stuff you guys are doing for the end of the year at GameSpot.
1: Yes, Oh, me too. Exciting.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing this. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.